welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. I'm Mark Sennett. I'm the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters. We're delighted this podcast is sponsored by the Health and Safety event. And the Health and Safety event takes place now on the 27th, 29th of April in 2021, still at the NEC in Birmingham. And if you visit www.healthandsafetyevent.com, you can register for your free pass. And that will also give you access to not just the Health and Safety event, but also Main Tech, the Facilities event, the Fire Safety event, the security event, and also for the first time, the emergency services show. So all you need to do is just register once, you can have access to all of those shows. And as I said, visit www.healthandsafetyevent.com. Now, if you're looking for the latest news in the sector, please do visit our website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. If you click on the webinars tab there, you can listen to all of our back archive of webinars and you can get CPD points for those. You can also register up to get a twice a week e-newsletter from us or you can register to get our print publication, Health and Safety Matters, six times a year. It's all completely free. Please do visit the website and you'll see all the latest news, prosecutions and products in the health and safety market. Now, speaking of news, we always start off the podcast with news. And the first story I want to cover this week is a, is a survey that's come out. Obviously, at the moment, it's very topical COVID. We're covering it quite a bit, but for very good reason, because it's affecting all of us. So a survey that's come out says a third of employees are comfortable returning to the office. A new survey of 1,000 office workers has revealed that the nation is starting to feel more comfortable going back to work. After many months in isolation, anxieties are obviously high. But research carried out by Moneypenny, which is an outsourced communications provider, showed that almost half, 45%, to be precise, of office workers said they're already returned to work, with a third of 31 saying they've been given the go-ahead to return to work in the next one to four months. However, around 5% said their employers have stated they won't return to work until January 2021 at the earliest, and about 18% have not been given a return to work date yet. Furthermore, the findings showed that over a third, or 34% to be precise, of workers are entirely comfortable returning to the office. However, 48% admitted having some concerns about COVID-19 risks. The return to the office, commuting has also got to be taken into consideration, with public transport being of higher risk than many other forms of transport. The data shows that the majority, 66% of office workers have said they will be choosing to take their own cars to work to avoid contamination or potential contamination on public transport. Over a third of office workers have said they've got no problems wearing a face mask. However, a further 36% said they would find it too much to do a whole day of work wearing a face mask and 13% said they don't mind wearing a face mask short term at work but would be less happy if the policy became a long term decision. A study also highlighted that 61% of workers have already been introduced to staggered starts, breaks and staggered finishing times in order to keep workers away from each other as much as possible. However, 16% said they still don't trust their colleagues to social distance. A further 11% said that they would report those that didn't comply with social distancing when they returned to the office. So a lot of statistics to take in there. But I look at this from a personal perspective. We opened up our office a few weeks back. We've taken a number of steps. We've got 28 employees and we've done everything that we possibly can do. Hand sanitizer, clear signage up, signs on the door so when it's occupied on toilet door so only one person can go into a communal toilet area. We've socially distanced people. So we've done everything that we possibly can do. We obviously encourage home working as well. But a number of our staff, the majority of our staff, have actually chosen to come back to work, which which we're thrilled about. You know, we want to see them, we want to engage them, provided it's safe to do so. So we're not wearing face masks at work, but as these statistics show, 37% would have had no problems wearing a face mask. But this statistic does show that just under half 
of staff have concerns about going back to the office due to COVID-19 risk. I would say when I relate it on a personal level, our staff are really understanding. Probably only two or three raised any questions and concerns, but we did the risk assessment, we shared it with them, we wanted people's involvement in it. So our statistics don't quite tally up with that but we're also not a massive workplace and we've got a lot of space in our office so people can socially distance easy enough but it's very topical because I'm seeing it from our clients to our listeners to our readers more and more of you are going back to work and this is something that we all have to face the dangers of COVID-19 we need to try and return to some sense of normality but you know as I said these findings show third or 34 percent of workers do feel entirely comfortable returning to work and I, and I think on a personal level, those statistics are probably on the low side from the people I've spoken to, but any concern is justified. But it is good to see that we're starting to get more people go back to work across the UK, but nothing should be done at the expense of people's safety. So I thought I would share not just those statistics, but also how our business is coping, because we're no different than you. You know, the jobs that you have as health and safety managers, etc., you'll be it similar size organisations to us, or most of you, many of you, much bigger organisations than us, and you're having to look at exactly the same concerns that we have. So it was an interesting stat. It wasn't a small amount of people that took part, and that was a thousand people. So I thought it was worth sharing. Our next story is a natural continuation, really, because it talks about homeworking. So there's extra help available for workers with disabilities. Those working from home or in a workplace with a disability will soon benefit from extra help thanks to an extension of the Access to Work scheme, including support for special equipment, travel costs and mental health. COVID-19 is obviously impacting the way in we work and across workplaces at home or in workplaces across the UK. With many employers are now asking workers to adopt to a new environment, Access to Work can play a key role in supporting disabled people to retain work, return to work or move into employment. The Access to Work scheme is designed to help people who are disabled or who have a physical or mental health condition to stay in employment. Last year, it provided personalised support to a record 36,000 people with disabilities and health conditions to do their job. New extensions to the scheme is what I want to talk about today. And you can get a grant funding if you're disabled or need support to be in work from home because of COVID-19, which can help pay for special equipment such as screen readers or video remote interpreting or support worker services. This funding can also be fast-tracked if you're in the clinically extreme vulnerable group. If you're travelling into the office and due to your health condition, public transport isn't a safe option for you at the moment, you can also apply for financial support for things like taxi fares. If you're anxious about returning to work and you need support, you can also get mental health support through Access to Work with a tailored package of support for up to nine months. The scheme can help you speak to your employees about changes they need to support you and can even provide grants for up to 60,000 people to keep your job accessible. Your grant is tailor-made to your needs and you'll be assigned an Access to Work advisor to support you going through this process. So this is a really interesting and great initiative. It's great that they've widened it in relation to the coronavirus. So I'm sure some of you might be interested in this. So if you do, applying for funding is really easy, actually. All you need to do is visit their website, which is the government website, which is gov.uk forward slash access dash to dash work. So that's gov.uk forward slash access hyphen to hyphen work. Or you could call on the phone, which is 0800 121 Seven nine, and following a short assessment, you can start getting support. So I think this is good news. It's worth it's worth sharing. You know, it's fantastic. They've helped so many people, thirty six thousand people with disabilities, to be able to do their work because just because people have a disability, whether it's 
mental health issues or whether it's a physical disability, you should be given as much support as you can do to be able to work from home or integrate into a workplace. And that become especially difficult right now with additional strains and pressures and concerns there are through COVID-19. So yeah, please do go to that website or call the number. And I'd be very interested to hear from any of you to see your experiences with it. So always with a podcast, if you want to engage with me or you want to engage this podcast, please do give your feedback. Please do give your thoughts and our stories. Use the hashtag HSM podcast and you can do that on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if there's any stories you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to bring in, then drop us a line through the hashtag. So our first guest this week on the Health and Safety Matters podcast is Dee Arp. Dee is the Director of Technical Standards at Nibosh. She's also a chartered IOSH member. It was great catching up with Dee. She talked to me about everything that Nibosh has been doing to try and keep things up and running in the wake of COVID-19, how they've moved to a much more virtual platform because in-classroom learning was obviously difficult for their training providers and there's a number of great new diplomas that they've launched and she also talked to me about what she thinks are the biggest challenges facing the health and safety sector and how COVID-19 will have a potential lasting impact on the sector. So I sat down with Dee earlier today and here's what she had to say. Good morning, Dee. How are you? Good morning, Mark. Very well, thank you. So obviously I want to talk about Nibosh today and a number of other things. So how has Nibosh adapted since the COVID-19 pandemic began? I think initially, Mark, like many other organisations, our, our first priority was the health and safety of our employees. So just pre the lockdown, we got everybody starting to work from home. And with the help of technology, the ability to connect online, I think everybody's really adapted well to the new work environment. Uh, Then as classroom teaching stopped during lockdown, we then began to work more closely with our learning partners to support them because they were starting to adapt more to online teaching. And I have to say the level of innovation and creativity they've shown, it's it's really been great to be a part of that. Uh, Our first focus then moved on to our our learners and how we could help them ensure that they were able to continue the learning journey and particularly how they could complete the need for assessments to get their actual qualification. So yeah, that was a challenge. I think like many others in the education sector in a very short time frame, we needed to look at how we could adapt those assessment practices to fit online, online delivery. And, and the core objective we had was quite simple. It was to reach any learner anywhere. So that included the need for us to make sure that our assessments still reflected, you know, the robustness and the integrity of the of the Nibosh brand. But we also had to give specific thoughts to how we could make sure that we were guarding against any misconduct. And also remember that, you know, we still had a lot of our learners that were taking assessments in really challenging circumstances. So we were very mindful of that. That said, we were in a pretty good position, I think, to respond to those challenges as we were already working on a, a digital assessment programme and reviewing assessments as part of that. And key to that is always making sure that our learners could demonstrate their ability, apply the knowledge and understanding in the assessment and actually feel motivated to do that as well. So HSM has followed this quite closely, but can you tell us more about your open book examinations for your general certificates, please? Yes, of course. So that is actually where we started with our first adapted assessment. So one of the assessments, you know, pre-lockdown for these qualifications was the typically invigilated examination. So learners had to you know, rock up at an examination venue, complete a two-hour question paper under invigilated conditions. So, so clearly the pandemic meant that those examinations could not take place. 
So we swiftly began work with our regulator, Scottish Qualifications Authority Accreditation, and we got their approval to replace the assessment with, as you said, our open book examination. So this meant we could achieve that anywhere, any learner, any, anywhere, anytime, uh, by giving learners access to an exam, you know, mostly in their own home. Uh, and I'm really delighted to say that after a massive effort from, you know, everybody in our organisation and with and the cooperation of our learning partners. Our first open book examination took place earlier this month. Uh, learners were given 24-hour 24 24-hour access to the assessment on Moodle, the learning manager system platform, and they had that 24 hours to complete submit their answers. Uh, what's really important with this assessment is that the learning outcomes that we assessed were exactly the same as in the previous assessment, but we just challenged our learners in a different way. So we set a scenario. Uh, that scenario describes a realistic workplace and outlines activities, work and behaviour. Uh, the learners, it was open book, so they could access resources and the course materials. But what was really important and what will be continue to be important in, in this assessment is what they needed to do was interpret the scenario before they answered the questions. So, you know, I believe really strongly that this is a much more reflective way of how they work in the workplace. And also the added benefit for them was it's far less stressful because they're able to sit that exam in their own home safely, very importantly, and with access to the resources. So we did need to rely on, on memory. So we're very clear that we're much more in that place of assessing their ability to apply the knowledge. There was a few challenges. We had to ensure that the remote assessment was secure and we've been very happy with the Moodle platform uh, in doing that. And another key challenge for us was to make sure that we could verify the identity of the learners and also that they weren't misusing any reference materials or, or colluding or collaborating with others. So literally in process now, we've got our learning partners carrying out closing interviews, which includes identity checks and also some questions that help validate, uh, validate the authenticity of the learners submitted answers. So that all sounds like great news, but Will you go back to focusing on classroom-based learning once we start to move out of the challenges from COVID-19? Really good question. We, we, we're continuing to work with our learning partners as they are still looking to find you know, the safest ways to teach and support the learners in, in what I think it's fair to say is still a period of uncertainty. Over the last 10 years, you know, we have seen an emerging trend of e-learning. I think there's cost advantages to the learner in doing that, but most significantly they've got that flexibility to adapt the learning to their own styles and do it at their own pace. And what we've seen with COVID is a massive acceleration of that shift to virtual learning. Initially, I think that was to help learners stranded as an interim measure. But more recently, learning partners are starting to use this approach as a more permanent solution. But we do still recognise that we learn very differently. There are still lots of advantages of classroom and face-to-face -face learning. But obviously, we've got to balance that with the safety of learners and tutors. So I can't see a time when we won't ever accredit face-to-face -face learning, because as I say, there's still advantages. But we do recognise that our qualifications can equally be delivered effectively by the e-learning and virtual classroom environment. Uh, what we are keen to make sure is that the learners are very clear as to how their learning will be delivered and that they're comfortable with that. 
I'd certainly think organisations that continue to be able to adapt to these uncertain times are going to be the ones that are most... I think the organisations that can adapt in these uncertain times will will ultimately be the most successful. Well, it's great to see that you're adapting, which is obviously a really challenging time for everyone right now. But could you tell us a bit more about the NEBOS and Health and Safety Executive Incident Investigation Qualification? Because you've touched on qualifications today, but that was an interesting one that I thought you partnered with. I think it was last year that you made an announcement on that. Or it might be nearly this year. Yeah, l- last year, Mark. Yeah, it's a qualification we're very proud to work with the Health and Safety Executive on. It's a really good example that you've given for me to talk about because this was a, a qualification where we were already starting to adapt our approach to assessment. So the assessments for this qualification weren't affected by, by the pandemic. But yeah, it's a qualification that focuses, as it says, on undertaking instant investigations. So it's suitable for general managers, supervisors, for anybody really who wants to carry out routine investigations effectively in their organisation. It's a one-day course. We're focusing on making learners a better investigator. So they learn how to gather evidence. And very importantly, they get to practice producing action plans to prevent the reoccurrence of the incidents that they've been investigated. And that's reflected in the assessment for this qualification. So they are asked to produce evidence, they look at video recorded witness interviews, and the assessment asks them to produce an action plan to prevent the reoccurrence of that particular incident. Something I'm very passionate about, the assessment actually continues the learning process. And this is my point about making learners more engaged with their assessment and motivated because it actually reflects what we want them to be able to go on and do in the workplace. And and they also learn how to add value in the workplace by proactive incident investigation process, such as improving the health and safety culture of the organisation. So, yeah, a qualification we're very, very proud of. And it's been been, met very successfully. And we've talked about how you've modernised and and the new qualifications that you've got. But Neobosh has been around for a long time, but it's grown tremendously in recent years. So can you tell us how the organisation has grown, but also what's next for Nebosh? Yeah, we, we, we've grown in many ways. You know, we've been very, very um, proactive in many areas. I think we've grown in our, in our international reach. You know, we, we operate in the UK and, and across the world. So that increased the number of learning partners that we work with, the products, the qualifications that we offer, the number of learners who take our qualifications has, has increased. But I think particularly in the situation the world finds itself in at the minute, I think it's also important to say that we've grown in our experience and resilience. What next? And I think we will continue to respond to the challenges. But as you quite rightly said, Mark, also the opportunities that this terrible situation has brought, you know, there are some opportunities in there. And that includes our technical transformation programme, you know, making sure that all of our assessments for all of our qualifications can be delivered digitally. So, you know, we won't have the situation that we had post-March where, where learning journeys had to stop. Yet we'll be continuing to adapt our assessments to make absolutely sure that they enhance learning, they contribute to learning and motivate the learner to demonstrate effectively what, what they know and can do in preparation for doing that in, in a real working environment. So we've talked about challenges. What do you personally think is the biggest challenge the health and safety market is about to face or is currently facing? I think it is currently facing this phase of helping the world return back to work safely. And I think probably the biggest challenge with that is is finding that balance between getting the world moving again, which we all know needs to happen, but actually accepting that that's going to be in a very different way in many, many cases. And I think the role of the health and safety practitioner in helping 
to ensure that that return back to work is done in a safe way, but with a risk-based approach is key. I think what's also interesting, I'm hearing that many practitioners are experiencing a new level of respect and recognition of the value that they bring to an organisation. And that is really, really good to hear. Uh, and in terms of education assessment, as I've already said, specific to NEBOSH, I think that that needs to continue to change in line with the future workplace requirements. And certainly our intention that we'll be helping that process by supporting learners to develop skills that are independent and, and also give them the skills for self-directed learning to support these changes in return to workplaces. So if people want to find out more about NEBOSH, how can they do so? The easiest way, Mark, is to look at our website. So we're lowercase nebosh.org.uk. Uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter and, and Facebook. But if anybody has any specific course uh, queries about any of the courses, qualifications that I've mentioned or, or, or any others or about our open book exam, our customer experience team are there to help. They're all safely working from home, as I said, but they can be contacted via our live chat on our website or via email at info at nebosh.org.uk. Dee, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, it's been fascinating thinking about how you guys have had to react really quickly and it sounds like you've done so really, really well. There's a lot of exciting things coming out of Nebosh. So thanks for sharing them with us today. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. So returning to news now, evacuation work has received a safety boost with the news that 71% of all digging work that takes place across the UK is now preceded by a thorough search for pipes and cables. The Digging Up Britain 2020 report, which was commissioned by LSBUD, who actually provide a free-to-use online underground asset search facility, has revealed a record 2,832,027 inquiries were registered on its collaborative portal last year. This is a 10% increase on the previous year and almost double that of five years ago. A search inquiry was placed every 3.7 seconds during the average working day. Digging Up Britain 2020 not only analyses the volumes but also the type of digging work taking place. It reports that emergency searches increased by 59% on previous year and 197% on two years ago with 316,922 searches deemed as urgent last year. This is a key consideration for health and safety professionals as emergency projects are more likely to be a result of an asset strike of a more severe nature. The report also identifies whose workers are doing the majority of digging and therefore provides an indicator of the workforces most vulnerable to asset strikes. As in previous years, the majority of digging work is done on behalf of a telecoms sector, with its contractors and operators completing nearly a million searches and making up to 32% of all searches last year. The water industry followed with over half a million searches, accounting for about 21% of the total. While the telecoms and water industries did more searches than ever before, their overall share of the total fell. This is due to a 10% increase in inquiries by private individuals and a surge by agricultural businesses, where searches increased by 42%. Digging Up Britain 2020 suggests that safety could be improved through all asset owners getting involved in the collaborative search portal. While the number is growing, just 10% of water companies currently share their asset information via the LSBUD portal. This means the water sector remains incredibly vulnerable to asset strikes, and those digging near its assets are going without a full picture of what's beneath them. 
as a stark contrast to gas and electricity companies where 80 and 70% respectively share the network data. Now, if you'd like to download a copy of the Dinger Britain report, you can do. You just need to go to www.linesearchbeforeyoudig.co.uk and the U in that is literally the letter U. So linesearchbeforeyoudig.co.uk. So interesting statistics there. Throughout my time covering health and safety, I've covered a number of prosecutions from people doing excavation work where they've been fatally electrocuted or they've had flash burn injuries so simply not being given the information of what's beneath them because the work hasn't been properly planned so the statistics here show are really positive actually show that people are engaging with the lsbud portal so they can see what assets are there so when i say assets we are talking about pipes or electricity cables so it's really good that people are using that portal because it does reduce the risk for contractors doing that work. But one statistic that really stood out to me is probably one of the the latter statistics that gave that just 10% of water companies sharing their assets information. So I'd hope that they would get more people from the water sector to share that information because it's not just a life safety side of thing. That's obviously the primary concern there, but we all know how frustrating it is when you get water leak or loss of water or loss of electricity or loss of phone um, cabling to your house because someone struck a line. And this can be avoided if people properly mark and share where assets are under the ground. So yeah, p pretty positive news there. But you know, you end that on saying there's still more work to be done to keep people safe and to stop interruptions of vital services. So for our final news story this week, I want to focus on mental health and a new survey. Again, another survey I want to cover this time. And it's all about frontline health workers needing more mental health support. A new survey into mental health of frontline staff and healthcare professionals has revealed that over 90% believe there is not enough mental health support available for the general public to deal with the aftermath of the pandemic. And 66% felt there's not enough workplace support for healthcare professionals and frontline staff. An overwhelming 80% felt their mental health had suffered because of the pandemic and have reported feelings of depression, anger, anxiety, lack of appetite, trouble sleeping or lack of sexual interest. Over half felt their health had been at risk because of their job through the crisis. However, over 80% of those interviews have been tested for COVID-19 with only 10% testing positive for the virus. 81% have had relatives or family members affected by the crisis. The survey went on to reveal that over 80% of those interviewed have witnessed patients diagnosed with COVID-19 and nearly half have lost patients to the virus. Previous research and experience with pandemics and infection has shown that higher risk of trauma responses are seen in newly qualified and experienced staff, in women and in those socially isolated, or those dealing with the virus and death directly on the front line. These higher risk factors indicate that there's significant risk for our health and social care workforce. Additionally, the major symptoms don't arise while still in the situation as we are. It's crucially to be monitored that this is now more proactive working with staff to help them identify symptoms and seek help. Most medical staff and most medical support staff outside of mental health have little or no knowledge of how anxiety, depression and trauma can manifest and may still fear the stigma of asking for help. So some pretty stark facts there and it's pretty obvious that our frontline NHS staff have never been more valued by people across the UK and have never been under more pressure 
this pandemic has caught everybody off guard and the NHS has been working flat out. And it's no surprise when you're seeing the, the trauma of trying to treat people and you can't cure them when you have to deliver the news, the bad news that someone's passed away or is seriously ill. It can have a lasting effect on healthcare professionals because it's a horrible thing. Was there anything worse than having to deal with anything um, death related? It's it's the, in my opinion, the hardest thing anyone would have to deal with. And this survey is showing that not enough, according to these respondents, is being done to identify help for people that could be suffering with mental health issues in the wake of having to deal with tragedy every day, all the stresses and the pressures of working in the frontline healthcare services, especially during COVID-19. So if there's anything that we take from here, if you are working in the NHS or you know someone that is, make sure that they have access to any support. And, you know, there's some pretty stark statistics, I said in there, 80% felt that mental health has suffered because of the pandemic. So that's that's not okay, and it's something we all need to come together and work together to try and tackle. Some interesting statistics there, and yeah, I thought I'd share that with you before we go into our last guest, which is Kelly Rock. Kelly is the HR Director of Actchair International, and they've recently moved to lovely new premises in the Midlands, just uh, outside of Solihull. And I sat down with Kelly and I asked her about how the pandemic has affected Avacture, what she thinks is the biggest challenges facing the health and safety sector. We also talked about the Emergency Evacuation Association, which is something that I helped launch a number of years ago, which now is led by Avacture, but sits within the Fire Industry Association. And we talked to her about how we're looking to move that forwards and how people can get involved in it. So I sat down with Kelly earlier today and here's what she had to say. Afternoon, Kelly. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So let's talk about Avacchair, the company you're with. Can you tell us a bit more about any new products that Avacchair's had out over the last 18 months? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that product innovation at Avacchair is, is probably one of our key strengths, actually. And we continue to kind of push that within our two distinct kind of Avacchair brands. So we've got the Avacchair, which I think everybody knows, but we've also got our Parade brand as well, which is our medical division. And I think it's, it's the Parade brand that has really kind of stood out over the last 18 months in terms of new product development, particularly during the whole sort of coronavirus situation. I think one of the things that, that kind of really stands out was the, the new Adapter Plus that, that we produced, which kind of sits alongside our other sort of product within the Parade division. So we work very closely with East of England Ambulance Service, who kind of were looking at transporting intensive care patients, you know, obviously during a very, very busy period. And with the East of England Ambulance Service, we designed and delivered the Adapter Plus, which enables ambulance stretchers to be easily converted to medium dependency critical care stretchers. So, and, you know, that's something that we're really proud of and was really important at the time, uh, particularly during lockdown and, and, and when the NHS were, were extremely stressed. As you said, innovation's key to Evacture and obviously the Parade brand as well. Can I test you a little bit and see what's next in your product pipeline? Are you able to share anything with us? 
Yeah, I mean, the Avac chair is our sort of strongest brand, strongest product. And it's something that, you know, we've, we've obviously looked at and worked on over the last 30 years. But I think in terms of new product development, we're looking at really kind of taking the Avac chair to the next level. And we've got our Mark V chair, which is our most up-to-date chair coming out with some small changes um, so that we can sort of ensure that it's kind of at the forefront of the evacuation chair market. I suppose that's probably the, the main kind of product that we've got coming out in the future. Well, as I said, I know that, you know, evacuation is the core of what you've done and you've got a huge mm-hmm. client base and very wide ranging. I think you've done stuff with Emirates, etc. as well, which is yeah. quite innovative. But yeah. let's talk about evacuation for a moment. A few years ago, I worked with your company when I was in a, a previous mm-hmm. role to help establish the Emergency Evacuation Association. Yeah. And there's been some yeah. changes to that. And your MD, Jez, has been mm-hmm. really pushing this. Can you give us an yeah. update on what the emergency evacuation is and, and what Jez and your company sees as its future and its role? I mean, I think the emergency evacuation is still really kind of key to us. And it's something that we, you know, we want to continue to support. And, and Jez is certainly at the forefront of that. Obviously, it's been a bit challenging recently with the whole kind of COVID situation and lockdown. Um, but, you know, the intention is still there. You know, we want to continue to develop the EEA and, and work very closely with those people that are involved in it. We want to be at the forefront of evacuation. You know, we don't we want to kind of set the agenda for for the evacuation. Evacuation is is kind of managed and bring all of the sort of key people together to try and move it forward. When, you know, it was launched, the Emergency Evacuation Association, the whole point was this wasn't a brand driving, it wasn't a back chair. It's now part of the Fire Industry Association, part of its working group. And yeah. it really is focusing, as you know, and understand the listeners here, on raising standards and setting the bar in evacuation, making sure the products are safe for use. And ultimately, yeah. I think Jez's vision is to get it to be more of a mouthpiece for the evacuation market to, to lobby mm. government etc so i would say yeah. at this point obviously getting in touch with the fia is is a good route but if someone wanted to get in touch with you guys for more information mm. on it what's the easiest way to get in touch with a vac chair um there's a couple of ways i mean um our sort of main inquiries line is probably a good place to start but equally you know i'm happy if people want to get in touch with me or jez directly just to talk about you know evacuation needs or, or just to get involved really with the eea you know, we're keen to, to talk to lots of different people, talk to different partners, talk to people that have an interest in this side so that we can help to, to push it forward. So you've had a busy few months, despite there being a global pandemic on and it being tough economic times for all of us. You've had some mm. exciting news at Avacha. You've finally moved yeah. into some brand spanking new premises that, that look fantastic. Can you tell us a bit more about why you moved, where you moved and, and what's on offer at your new premises? Yeah, so we've just, um, well, we moved at the end of May to a 38,000 square foot premises based not actually too far from from where we were based previously but it's kind of on the outskirts of Birmingham in Solihull. Brand new space, brand new factory, brand new offices and I think you know just a completely different environment. I think you know we're very keen to to grow the business and we think we've you know got the opportunity to do that in the future so you know the the, the, the chance to, to move to, to newer and bigger premises I think is, is going to be really important for our, for our business going forward forward in terms of expansion but also in terms of attracting you know key talent to to, to the business um, in the future 
So if anyone wants to find out more information on your products, do you, you talked about telephone number really. Do you have a website and, and can you share yeah, the telephone number and the website address with us, please? Yeah, so we have the EvacChair website, which is evacchair.co.uk. And that sort of covers all of our, our different businesses, all of our different brands. Uh, we also have our Parade website, which we are actually in the process of, of updating and changing with lots of new information on there. But if, if people go onto the EvacChair site, then they can normally get to the different parts of our business through 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 the main website and what's the best telephone number to contact you on probably our main number which is 0121 706 6744 brilliant kelly thanks for joining us really great to catch up with you again thank you And that's all we've got time for in this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Please do share this with your industry colleagues. Please like us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. Please give us a positive review as well. It would be great. If you've got any topics you'd like us to cover, as I said earlier, please do use the hashtag HSM podcast to get in touch with us. But our thanks once again to the Health and Safety event for being our sponsor of this podcast. The health and safety event takes place on the 27th, 28th and 29th of April 2021, still at the NEC in Birmingham. And all you need to go to is www.healthandsafetyevent.com and you can get a free pass. We'll get you into the health and safety event, but it'll also get you into the fire safety event, the facilities event, the security event, main tech and for the first time, the emergency services show. In the meantime, if you are looking for all the latest news, prosecutions, products in the health and safety market, please do go to our website which is www.hsmsearch.com. And you can click on the webinars tab and listen to all of our CPD accredited webinars. You can also sign up for our twice a week e-newsletter or alternatively, you can sign up for free to receive a free copy of Health and Safety Matters magazine six times a year. So all you need to do is go to our website and you can get all of that information and all the latest news, prosecutions and products and more. We'll be back in a couple of weeks time. We come out every fortnight on a Monday. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Mm-hmm.